Look, look, Ernie, I, I don't want to talk about the Knicks today. I really, I want to talk about a, a podcast that I have that a friend of mine, his name is Josh Petrie. He coming, he come, he, he, that boy been planning a podcast for two damn years. I mean, he's going to go to great lengths to bring you exclusive material and amazing guests. He even set his wife and kids to Target so he could record it. I mean, that's crazy. So from a top-secret location in Charleston, West Virginia, enjoy the not-so-terrible Sports Nerds Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sports Nerds Podcast, Episode 3. My guest today, a little bit later in the podcast, is former All-American linebacker at WVU, Grant Waller. You'll, you'll want to stay tuned for that. This guy's an entrepreneur and has his hands in many, many different things, so stay with me for that. Uh, on today's show, also, I want to talk a little NFL, I want to talk a little NBA, and going to touch some on my feelings on Lonzo Ball. Um, but right now, let's talk a little news and notes that was Week 7 in the NFL, so let's jump right in. Week seven in the NFL wasn't wasn't too too eventful, you know, not a whole lot to talk about, but just some things that stick out to me. Drew Brees threw his 500th career touchdown pass, and is the fourth player in NFL history to reach 500 career touchdown passes, including the postseason. And with this, he joins Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, and Tom Brady. Um, Dak Prescott has seven career games now with at least three touchdown passes and one or fewer picks. In a player's first two seasons, only Pro Football Hall of Famer Dan Marino had more with nine. Uh, I kind of thought Dak Prescott, you you would see sort of a sophomore slump out of him. I think you did just a, just a hair in the first of the you know the first part of the season, but uh, I think you're starting to see him produce now, and, and he's getting more and more mature as every game goes. Ezekiel Elliott continues to produce week in and week out, so uh, I think the Dallas Cowboys are headed in the right direction as long as Dak Prescott stays healthy. I hope his style of play can keep him healthy for years to come, but uh, I think the Cowboys will be just fine. The team that absolutely impresses me the most was the Philadelphia Eagles. They sit at 6-1 and one right now. Uh, the Eagles as a whole lead the league, lead the NFL in time of possession, and have converted the most third-down conversions. Um, you know, that speaks volumes for this team as far as going in the right direction and what they've been able to do. Carson Wentz, it took me a while to get on his bandwagon, but you can absolutely count me in now. I wanted to see what he could do into this season, and this guy – you know, as of right now, I see shades of, of Peyton Manning and Dan Marino with wheels. This guy can run the ball. He's got some speed. Um, so this guy's already mature. He can put that team on his back, and I think they may make a run this year. If not, they'll make a deep playoff run. But with him at the helm, I think they'll continue to do big things for years to come. Like I said, this guy has a ton of intangibles, and he can absolutely lead this, lead this team for years to come. Um, another stat from this weekend, seven teams failed to score an offensive touchdown. That's the most since 2001. So, you know, I, I don't know what's up with the productivity there, but uh, it's, just kind of, it's kind of an odd stat that you see that on this weekend, you know, with some game, with some divisional games and things like that. Um, the Arizona Cardinals are absolutely decimated now. I think you can cut them out with their, you know, the injury bug has hit them pretty hard with David Johnson, now Carson Palmer. So uh, I think you could pretty much count the uh, Cardinals out so far. 
you know, back to the NFC East, the Giants, I think they sit at one and six right now. I'm, I'm a Manning fan, a Peyton Manning fan, an Eli Manning fan, I always have been, but I think we're starting to see the Eli Manning decline right now. I think you started to see that halfway through last season. Uh, this season, I know he doesn't have a ton of weapons at all, you know, really no weapons. Um, you might as well take a high school team out there and give him, you know, give him some wide receivers. They could probably have more productivity than what they're getting right now. But like I said, I think you're starting to see his decline. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish you could see him play for five or six more years since we lost Peyton, but I just don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, he, he took some nine and seven teams, backed them into the playoffs and ended up winning the Super Bowl. But, uh, and that's why I say you, you can never count out a Manning brother, but, this season, it's just too little, too late. You know, some things, like I mentioned earlier, that really, really bother me. Some people may not even notice these. I never hear anybody talk about them at all. Uh, but it's things that I've noticed for years, and I don't know why I've noticed it, but I just I would like everybody else's feedback on it and what they think, and, you know, maybe maybe something could change. But uh, when you see a after a big play, after after a first down, not even, you know, obviously not a touchdown, but after a big a big gain or a first down or something like that, you see a player celebrate every single time, which, uh, you know, I don't like the whole celebration for just getting a first down in the NFL. I mean, you're expected to do that. But you see these players chuck the ball 15, 20, 20 yards down the field, and, you know, the referees have to run and get the ball and bring it back and, and place it where it needs to be on the hash. But like I said, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but what I would like to see happen is referees just, you know, when the players do this, casually walking down or jogging down to get the ball and casually jogging back and placing the ball where it needs to be, I think that will cut down with that because I think that's absolutely ridiculous. You know, some other things that, that may not notice, may go under the radar, is every single time you see somebody get blasted on the sideline, whether it be a camera guy or a cheerleader or just whoever's on the sideline. The player gets up, don't even acknowledge the fact that they just demolished the person on the sideline. They just act like they just ran into a stick or it wasn't even there. They never help them up. Very few, maybe one out of ten, will actually try to help them up or see if they're okay. So I don't quite understand why why they don't, you know, take initiative to to really check on these people. You know, I, would just, I, I need somebody else's feedback because these are some things that I just I have no idea why why these things exist and and why these players i don't know if it's it's an arrogance thing or i have no idea but uh, just leave me some feedback on that and tell me what you think but uh next up we're going to talk some nba the nba's golden boy steph curry was not fined the other night for throwing his mouthpiece at a referee during the postgame interview he said that the arrogance showed he said that if he wanted to hit the referee with his mouthpiece he, his arm is better than that and he absolutely could have uh it's an epidemic and not only with steph curry but it's an epidemic in the NBA now. Every single player wants a foul on every single possession. It's absolutely getting ridiculous. If you watch this particular play, Steph Curry wasn't even touched, continuing on to throw his mouthpiece at the referee. Uh, do I think he should have been suspended? Absolutely. I think the league needs to set an example. It doesn't matter who you are. If you throw your binky, then you will be suspended and not just find $50,000 because that's just pocket change. And, you know, I say binky, taking a shot at this guy, just – for being a Cavs fan, and it's bred in me to hate the Warriors and hate Steph Curry, but also being a LeBron fan, LeBron is the biggest prima donna in the league, and Steph Curry is a close second behind that. And like I said, do I think he should have been suspended? Absolutely, but you just you can't get calls every time down the court. That's like in the NFL. Prima donna is also the wide receivers and the DBs. They want to 
They want pass interference on every single play. You just can't do that if you want the game to be less than six hours. Uh, anybody that watches the game of football knows that you could call holding on every single play. But it's a bit of an epidemic in both sports now of, of people wanting calls on every single play. But, you know, this just can't happen. The Cavs will now sit D. Wade in place of J.R. Smith. When the Cavs brought in, JR, brought in D. Wade during the offseason, they were going to sit J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith complained about it, didn't like it. And now you see him being inserted back into the lineup. D. Wade went to the Cavs organization in Ty Lue and thought that his productivity wasn't there where it needed to be, so he wanted to come off the bench. Um, when they brought in D. Wade, you wanted to see him start due to his chemistry with LeBron, you know, being in Miami and having that chemistry off the court of they're the best of friends. You know, they have chemistry on and off the court. So, uh, like I said, J.R. Smith will now start for the Cavs. Uh, Lonzo Ball. I wrote a blog a while back on sportsnurse.com about Lonzo Ball, uh, you know, basically about his play alone. I don't have anything against him as a man or a player. I don't know a whole lot about Lonzo Ball besides what you see on TV, but you can't write a blog about Lonzo Ball without including LeVar Ball. To me, LeVar Ball, on the other hand, is a different story. I think when LeVar Ball goes to his son's games, I think he needs to be required to uh, to wear a muzzle. I've said since day one he's putting a target on Lonzo's back, and Lonzo will be bullied when he gets to the NBA night in and night out. And you seen that the other night with Patrick Beverly. Uh, Patrick Beverly roughed him up a little bit. And, you know, there's a lot of NBA players in the league that have this vendetta against Lonzo because they can get to Lonzo on the court and not LeVar Ball. But at the same time, you see all the negativity about LeVar Ball, but you know you talk to people behind the scenes and that are friends with LeVar. They say he takes good care of his friend, his friends, family, and players, and things like that. And he's a heck of a guy. But and at the same time, I question whether he is a, an idiot or a genius. So I think I'm on the fence right now, but I think I'm leaning more towards genius due to you know we keep giving him the platform. ESPN keeps giving him the platform to market his brand, market his son. So. You're going to see a whole lot out of this guy for a while to come because he's got two more sons coming up in the ranks. You know, that it seems like that's the way today's sports are. Just due to LeVar and Lonzo's fame alone, you know, those guys will probably make it also. But you might want to get used to uh, LeVar Ball and, you know, being around for a while. I'm not a fan of his. I wish he would shut up. You know, like I said, you either love him or you hate him. There's no in-between. As far as Lonzo Ball on the court, I think he'll he'll go down as a, a very, very good player, not a great player. I think as of right now, he has obviously no elevation on his shot. I think he plays a bit flat-footed. I think he's kind of slow. Um, I thought a lot of NBA players would end up getting to his shot due to the low elevation on it. He, he doesn't have a whole lot of arc on his shot. But, you know, you go back to the Tim Tebow days. When Tim, Tim Tebow came into the NFL, they tried to change his mechanics. And you see that that didn't work out very well for him at the quarterback position at all. But as far as T Tim Tebow goes, if you really, really love the game, you're going to want to play another position because he was a football player. You know, he wasn't just a quarterback. He could have played tight end or fullback. But I think that's what they're doing with Lonzo Ball. They don't want to change any mechanics due to thinking he can be a really, really good player. So uh, do I think he'll go down as an all-time great? No, I don't know anything about the younger sons. I have heard that the – the younger sons may even be better than Lonzo, but I think Lonzo will be okay. All right, with me on the line, WVU All-American, turned Viking, turned actor, model, Grant Wiley. How you doing, Grant? <laughs> I'm well, you? I'm Thanks doing good, man. I tried to get all that in there for you. I know you're an entrepreneur, there's so I tried to... There's more, there's more, there's more. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been reading up on you a little bit. Tell me what's going on, man. That's good. 
Just, uh, yeah, I got a few questions for you today. I won't take up too much of your time, but uh, what's been going on lately? I've just been focused on uh, building our technology company, VPO, with fellow mountaineers, Jonathan Oliver, who is a kicker at WVU. He and I built a great relationship uh, while at school. He's a little older than me. And then Najee Good, who's linebacker for the Eagles now, he's, he's another partner. So we got the trifecta Mountaineer story going, and uh, we're just right. building out VPO. I have. I've read up on that a little bit. It seems to be going pretty well right now. Yeah, we partnered with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, what VPO is, is a software development kit that can integrate into any mobile application, iOS or Android, and gives the user the ability to make objects and information within their pictures and videos interactive. Uh, okay. direct to consumer e-commerce and it's just a more efficient way to package information while networking networks at the same time what i mean by networking networks is in the philadelphia eagles app you can click on carson wentz's bio and then also click on his instagram account at the same time so it's pretty extraordinary okay cool What's, uh, what else has been going on, man? I know you appeared in Sex in the City, and you've been on uh, Inside Amy Schumer. Uh, yeah, you have, I mean, that, was you in Trainwreck? Uh, briefly, in the montage, she kicked me out of her apartment. Okay, is there some uh, kind of, you got some kind of connection with Amy Schumer, or what's going on with that? So, um, my old roommate and acting associate, Kevin Kane, is part of, I'm an associate of this, acting group called The Collective NY, and I've produced a film with them, uh, produced, helped produce with some theater productions, and Amy is a founding member, and we all went to the same uh, acting school. I was there at different times in them, but it's, you know, it's just like any, any organization. Uh, Amy's done an incredible job of looking out for a lot of people that she came up acting with. Okay, it seems to be going pretty well for you right now. Yeah, things are going well. You know, it's one day at a time. Uh, nothing ever happens overnight regardless. Oh, some things happen overnight, but right. most most things don't happen overnight. But I'm, I'm relentless in my pursuit of attaining the life that I see for myself. Okay, back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about WU. Um, when you were at WU, you obviously had, you know, a ton of accolades. Big East Rookie of the Year, All-American, first team All-Big East, and obviously the WU Football Hall of Fame. Which accolade uh, means the most for you? Which accolade? Right, which one means the most to you as far as all those individual ones go? Um, I really was blown away at the Big East Rookie of the Year award because – I didn't even know that it existed. Okay. I was never I was never really into um you know, I always knew there were there were postseason awards, but I, I really was surprised at at that. And that really kinda woke me up to, hey, Michael Vick got it the year before you. Uh, your dream of, of playing in the NFL is, is very much a reality. And getting that award really kind of propelled me, even though I had a broken leg going into the next season uh, and when Coach Rodriguez came. But I was really, you know, I was on a mission to leave after my sophomore year like Vic. Obviously, I got derailed by a 
torn hamstring. And then after my junior year, I was I was really geared up to leave, and then and then life happened. But that that award was 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 pretty extraordinary, and it really caught me off guard. How did your relationship and then differ? I, obviously, consensus consensus all America was, is really cool too. Right, right. How did your relationship differ from uh, Don Nealon to to Rich Rod as far as personality wise? I mean, it was night and day. You're right. talking about. Coach, Coach Nalen was very much a, a nurturer at, the, at that point of his career where he was much, very much a nurturer, grandfather figure, father figure to Rich that was very much, you know, tyrannical in his approach to getting things his, done his way or the highway. Uh, very, there were very different points in their careers, and it was really – you know, looking back at the time, I you know, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on. It was frustrating. Right. At the same time, we started to win, and we started to beat ranked teams. And so something was working. And looking back on it now and over the years, it was even, you know, I kind of understand what, you know, why Coach Rodriguez came in the way that he did. Right. You know, you got to – and then – also, why Coach Nealon was where he was at with everything that he did up to that point in his career. So I, I look at it like a, I was very fortunate to, to experience two extraordinary coaches at very different points in their careers, and just kind of use use the the lessons and experiences I learned with them uh, for my life. Okay, your your tackle production increased every year while you were at WVU. Who or what do you credit for that? You know, you don't see many uh, 14, 16, 18 tackle games out of out of anyone anymore. Who do you credit for that? The statistician. <laughs> okay, that sounds good enough. <laughs> uh, I credit, I mean, everything. It's a culmination of everything. Preparation, obviously, you're more. I was more experienced. Each year, I was able to prepare more efficiently, and I was had a little familiarity with what the other teams were going to run. Now, this is a statistic that many people don't know: is we ran a different defense just about every single year, but my last two years. Right. And so I'm, I'm, you know, objectively, I'm impressed by that to be able to produce the way that I did with these different defenses. And then when you look at the 3-3 stack, a lot of times when the balls run to your way as an inside slash outside linebacker in that scheme, you become the defensive tackle. Right. And that's not easy. Okay. And, <laughs> so you know, speaking I, speaking of your what, tackling. What um, the, the, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of your tackling, obviously you were very, very consistent at it. Um, I was just want to talk about tackling on all levels, you know, not only at WVU, but what seems to be going on. I had a conversation with Daryl Talley a couple of years ago, and we talked about the whole tackling thing, and it seems like players, you know, they don't really know how to tackle anymore. They don't want to get fined. They don't want to get hurt. So he said that, you know, you're going to start to see a lot of lower leg injuries, which you absolutely have. So I just wanted your take on kind of what has, is the fundamentals kind of leaving the game? Are they not being taught at a younger level because – and I bring this up, for, you know, basically because of WU versus Texas Tech, there was a lot of, you know, not a whole lot of tackling in the game, a lot of arm tackling, a lot of people going for the big hits. Just what, what's your opinion on the whole tackling situation? Well, 
people finally realize that when you hit with your head, you're potentially harming yourself for the rest of your life. Right. Uh, I think that's the biggest factor is that people are finally admitting. <laughs> right. It's, it's funny when you think about it. Oh, you're hitting your head, but you have a helmet on, but you're still hitting your head. There's nothing healthy about that. Right. There never was anything healthy about that. And I think people are finally admitting that there is a problem with hitting with your head. Now, with all that conversation coming up, is now, now there's the fear factor. Right. Are you willing to sacrifice brain damage and potential long-term harm for tackle? Right. I can't. There's countless times that I've had played with concussions, had concussions in practice, them did not tell anyone because I was a tough guy and you just that was something you just really played through and I think now that's the biggest contributor is that for so long we expected our my goal was to hit you with my head because I knew hitting you with my head would inflict the most pain on you. right so any any way that I could get you know, what we considered a proper form tackle was, you know, your neck bold and your forehead into the target. I was trying to take your head off. And, in fact, I was inflicting pain on myself that I wasn't even acknowledging because I was just caught up in the in the game of that's just how you hit people hardest. You know when you level someone? Mm -hmm. You hit with your head. Right. And... I remember hitting James Mungro so hard. It was like the perfect hit of my career, my, my sophomore year. <laughs> and he was on the ground squirming uh, because I hit him perfectly with my head. And I was ecstatic because I, I knew how hard I hit him. But at the same time, my head was ringing. And you can't it's a major transition to go from teaching kids for so many years of how to tackle using your head to, okay, guys, we're going to switch it up now. Right, Even absolutely. though I'm a coach and I never ex coach now and I never experienced tackling like that when I played, now I have to figure out a way to teach you. Right. But at the same time, I don't think – I think that it's few and far between to find coaches that, especially, you know, under 13 levels that coach any part of football properly. Do you think they should just play uh, flag until they until they reach a certain age? Uh, I know that's been discussed my, a lot. My kids? Anybody's kids. Yours, you know, yours especially. Anybody's kids? You know, people, regardless of the, the, the tainted reputation of Joe Paterno, Right. He had always said, I, I want kids to play soccer until they're in 10th grade and then play football. Okay. And I don't disagree with that. I think playing football at an early age is just ridiculous. Right. I wasn't allowed to play until 6th grade, and that's because I got kicked off the soccer team, and my parents were not about to let me be at the house with all this energy pent up. Okay. Uh, so so they, I got kicked off the soccer team. They allowed me to play in sixth grade, 
when seventh grade was really the year because it's when school ball started. And the coaches in the school uh, at the you know junior high level were a little more uh, responsible than the coaches of the, the Pop Warner and the Little League organization. Right. I've uh, you know I've even heard of some people say, well maybe we should just take the face mask out of the game, and you know that seems really really extreme to some. And then you talk to some, and they're like, well that would absolutely you know, lessen the damage, and yeah. obviously, so um, what's your take, take on that? I mean, that's really, take, really extreme. You take the face mask off and watch football disappear. Right. See, that's, you know, I, I think the same way. I don't think, I I mean, I don't know, I don't know the future of the game. I, I'm really um, curious to see what happens right. because even when you think about insurance policies at the high school level at some point it's just going to be too expensive right and you wonder well is it even going to exist or are the high schools going to have to converge their football programs mm-hmm. i mean it's just it's one of those things who knows uh it'll be interesting and i think the conversations, you know, that we're having right now and that people are having because they're more conscious of the negative aspects of the game. And I think if you take the face mask off, it's just, it's just, it's, it's one step away from it not existing. Right. I agree a hundred percent. As far as I can see. Right. And then uh, you're, and then you're putting people at, risk again <laughs> because yeah absolutely face off. um i got another question for you them breaking their mouth and their nose is even greater because right i mean you'll have a whole new different many, set of how problems many, how many how many knees and cleats i got to the chin and the face right That's yeah there would be fun. a lot of you know people disfiguring other people's faces yeah um I, i've asked everybody this question especially from w that i've interviewed i've asked pat white steve slate and daryl talley you know wendell small all these guys i just what was your favorite uh, memory about being a mountaineer my favorite memory right i think it's the locker room that's exactly you know that's what most guys say that's exactly what pat yeah, white said you, he just said the camaraderie you know a bunch of maniacs right. from all walks of life, all classes of life, socioeconomic, <laughs> and none of that matters. Right. And it's just, or it does, and then it gets resolved. Okay. It's just a, it's a, it's an interesting universe to be in when you're all working to achieve the same goal which is winning right and to develop these relationships to maintain these relationships and back on these you know these times it's like I, I've sat at the table with groups of comedians that get paid to tell jokes and make people laugh right and you know Cooper Rigo who's, who's who does stand up here in the city we talk about it all the time it's like there's has yet to be a group of comedians to make me laugh harder than when it's me and eight of 
our teammates in the locker room. Right, and you know, every year you have your your characters up there, especially. Yeah, and it's it's just, and there's no nothing sacred or nothing safe. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Which yeah, which which can go many many ways. <laughs> All right, and I've got I've got one more for you before I before I get you out of here. Um, yeah. I wanted to. What can we expect from you going forward? You know, as you as you pursue acting and you really try to further your career and what you're doing right now. What can we look for going forward? That's a great question. And I look for what what can you look for? I, I believe VPO is going to continue we're gonna to continue to build that out and continue to have success on many levels. And I I, I believe that it's become the norm for the way media is interacted with. Right. You know, just where our idea came from. Why can we send people to the moon, but we can't touch a video and find out where we can buy that sweatshirt? I, I feel like it's a natural progression before AR and VR really, uh, and holograms become, you know, household or the norm in digital experience. And I believe you're going to see me surface in the film world as an artist and as a producer and I never I never believed in in um, only doing one thing and I've been very patient I was actually just talking to somebody earlier I've been very patient about my approach just knowing that you know anything worthwhile takes time right. and with football like I said when I was four years old I'm going to the NFL people looked at me like I was crazy mm -hmm. and when I was still 235 pounds I was telling <laughs> people this is what I'm going to do and I finally feel at a place now where I'm grounded in it and really um, can see how things are unfolding on the film front as an, as an artist and as a producer uh, with a lot of my friends that I've helped throughout the years and maintained extraordinary relationships with in the music industry and all these different industries, I, I paint and I'm starting to receive, you know, attention from from other artists that are looking at my stuff like you did that. <laughs> and I'm right. just like, yeah. And well, so I, I I don't think I think you're going to continue to see me show up in places we may not thought I would okay uh, except for me but really it's always been just like football it's like everybody considered me a slow white guy from Trap, Pennsylvania when in fact I was running down Lee Evans who was one of the fastest guys to ever play in college football and right. Michael Vick and uh, I, I think I I fulfilled my expectations as a player that's for sure my my goal is to walk away when i was ready and i did that right absolutely one of the greatest things i've ever accomplished all right well grant i really so appreciate keep, you coming keep, on yeah man. keep your eyes peeled i will absolutely i appreciate you coming on i wish you luck going forward thank you all right thanks so much man i'll be in touch all right brother thank you thank you
All right, that wraps up episode three. I want to thank my guest, Grant Wiley, and thank you to everyone else who listened. If you get the chance, subscribe on YouTube, follow on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn. If you're into audio only, please uh, check us out on SoundCloud. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.